You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, we'll pray and we'll uh, get started tonight. So let's let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, an, again, another opportunity to gather together with believers around your word, Father. And we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to do that. Father, I thank you that as we do, that you are with each and every one of us. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, that you're right there in the midst of us. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that again, even though we might be in different physical locations, Lord, I thank you spiritually. We're knit together. The presence of God is there. The anointing of God is there. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God, the written word of God. And so, Lord, we make ourselves available tonight for the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, to bring revelation and insight into our lives to cause your word to become alive in us. And so, Father, we thank you for it in advance, and we believe, Father, to be changed tonight. We believe for our eyes to be open. Thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us have ears to hear. And, Father, we'll be mindful to not just be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter, we're going to begin there. And uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time reviewing, but just to give you a little background, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as I was preparing, as we wrapped up the Better Covenant series, I was praying and asking the Lord which direction uh, that he wanted us to go. And uh, I heard in my spirit, uh, just during a time of prayer, not audibly, but just down in my heart, that believers don't understand the times and the seasons of the Lord and that he wants us to be aware of those things. He wants us to understand the times and the seasons. And uh, what he was saying to me was this, is nothing on God's time frame ought to catch us off guard. In other words, it ought not be a real big surprise to us uh, because, of course, as you know, things are made available to us in the Word of God, but also by the Spirit of God, they're revealed to us. And so what came up, as I was praying, and the Lord spoke that to me, was a scripture here in Matthew 16. So let's look at Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, testing him, Jesus, asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. Notice they came looking for an outward demonstration or an outward manifestation of him or um, what God's timetable was and what God was doing in the earth. And he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, he said, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. 
And so I looked it up in the, the Greek dictionary, what the two words that were used there mean. And the first one is the Greek word chronos. And again, this is review, but just to uh, bring everybody up to speed, chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, is used 54 times in the New Testament. And it is a, a specific reference to amount of time, like an hour or a minute or that type of thing. The other Greek word that's used in the, the New Testament 86 times is the Greek word kairos, and it's K-A-I-R-O-S, and it, it refers to an opportune time, a, quote, moment, or a, quote, season, such as harvest time. And, and the, the words that Jesus used here when he said you cannot discern the signs of the times, he's talking about a kairos. It's a specific moment, a season, or a harvest time example. Uh, and what Jesus was telling them is this, is that they were you know, uh, so aware of religious things, but they couldn't see what God was doing in the earth through Jesus at that time in his ministry. They were totally oblivious to it. And so the Lord is wanting his body to be spiritually attuned enough to be able to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit for the kairos of God that he desires to bring to pass in our lives and in the body of Christ. And I believe that one of the reasons if it is that the Lord has me talking about this and that he brought that up in my spirit is that we're going to see a lot of this type of thing, a lot between now and the time uh, that Jesus comes back or the rapture of the church takes place. And uh, we're going to begin to see specific moments, if you will, and appointed times that God has planned, and he doesn't want us, his people, his children, to be oblivious to it or to be caught off guard. And so go over with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians 5, and again, if you miss any of this, all of my notes are on the, the website, but Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 15. I'm going to read it from the New King James and the Amplified. The New King James says this, uh, seeing then that you walk, or see then rather, that you walk circumspectly. Now, that's not a word we'll we use and I'll define it in just a second, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The, the Amplified Bible says it this way, the Amplified Classic, look carefully then how you walk, live purposefully and worthily and accurately. I like that word not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. In the Greek language, that word unwise means that it actually can be translated stupid or ignorant. That's literally, I didn't put that, that's literally in the dictionary, the Greek dictionary. It, it means to uh, be mindless. So somebody that is unwise, according to these scriptures and in the Greek, is somebody that's ignorant or unaware or not even thinking about uh, the times and the seasons of the Lord. He goes on to say, um, verse 16, making the most of the time, and, and 
that word is kairos, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, take advantage of every special moment, every appointed time that God makes available, and therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. And so I went through and wrote a bunch of scriptures down. Let's look at one more before I get into that. Let's go over to Colossians chapter one. And, uh, you know, if there have been in my life challenges, um, along the way and, and, uh, you know, in my conversations with other believers, if there's one thing that I hear a lot from other Christians is, um, not being able to discern what the will of God is for their lives. And uh, so we're going to talk a lot about that in this particular series. You know, uh, I, I people will occasionally say to me, you know, uh, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what decision to make here. And so I believe that that's part of, if not a big part of what the Lord is talking to us about here. But in Colossians chapter one, verses nine and 10 in the new King James, it says this, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now notice this, this is a prayer. Paul prayed for the Christians at Colossae. And he said, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So if it, if the will of God is supposed to be a mystery to God's people, then Paul shouldn't have prayed this prayer because what Paul prayed was, is that we as believers would be filled, not just get little glimpses, but filled with the knowledge of God's will and notice what he said, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So not only do we know what God's will is, but in wisdom and understanding, we're able to walk it out according to his plan for our lives. Listen to the Amplified. It says this, for this reason, we also, from the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking and, and I like the way the Amplified says this, that you may be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, parenthetically, in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things. Wow, if we, you know, that just that one phrase there, uh, defining what, spiritual wisdom is and, and understanding the deep and clear knowledge of God's will. It says having comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and an understanding and discernment of spiritual things. You know, I think a lot of times there are people that, that get confused and listen, I have to, on behalf of uh, us preachers, I have to take responsibility because you have people standing in pulpits who do not have a comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, and then understanding and discernment of spiritual things, standing in pulpits trying to tell people um, about God's ways and purposes when they don't have a clear understanding themselves. 
And so what you end up having is the old phrase, you know, the blind leading the blind, where you've got people uh, leading other people, ministering the word of God to them without this comprehensive insight and discernment of spiritual things. And what it does is it causes a lot of confusion. It causes a lot of um, ignorance. It causes a lot of people to uh, not walk in the fullness of what God has for their lives. Let's go on and read verse 10, that you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and desiring to please him in all things. Did you know it's it's possible for a believer to fully please God in every area of our lives? Again, if that wasn't possible, then Paul shouldn't have prayed this here. And it says that uh, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, clearer insight, acquaintance, and recognition. And so long story short, God is desiring that we have full insight into his will, plan, and purpose for our lives. But not only that, like the Amplified Bible says, God wants us to have some understanding of his ways and purposes. I might have uh, mentioned this to you in the past, but the Psalms tells us that, that Moses, or excuse me, it says it this way. It says the children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. And there's entirely, those are two entirely different things. And, and the, the sad truth is there's a lot of Christians that follow God trying to discern his acts instead of drawing close to him and knowing how to find out about the ways of God. And, you know, we're, we'll talk about that some in this series, but you'll, you'll understand. And we've, you know, we cover it a lot in, in, in our Bible studies here, but you know, there are certain things that God does and certain things that God doesn't do. There are certain things, certain ways that he behaves and that he acts and that he thinks about certain things. And um, the the good news is in Malachi 3, 6, the Bible says that, that I am the Lord, I change not. So if we can learn something about the ways of God, the good news is he's not like a person. He's not fickle. He doesn't change with the wind. Um, he, he doesn't adapt to anything. If anything, we have to adapt to him. And so what we can do is we can learn some things about the ways of God and be able to determine the ways of God in future events. In other words, we can go to the word of God and we can look at how and learn how God thinks about a certain situation, how he's going to respond to a certain situation. And then we can know that that is how he's going to respond. And there, it eliminates the question in our lives. What is God going to do? You know, there's that old saying, uh, you know, the, that God is mysterious and, you know, he, he moves in mysterious ways and all his wonders to perform and so forth and so on. God is not as mysterious as people make him out to be. Okay. He, he gave us a book and he gave us his spirit so that we could have revelation knowledge into how he thinks and operates. Matter of fact, go with me back to Isaiah chapter 55, please. And let me show you what I'm talking about here. 
Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Again, you know, a lot of this is nothing new, but it, it, it does us good to be stirred up about it. Um, let's look at Isaiah 55. I'm going to read starting in uh, verse 6. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. And it says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he, God, will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Then he goes on to say this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, here's what people do. They stop right there. And so what they do is they think, well, you know, God thinks these high and lofty thoughts, and, and he does. I mean, and I'm not denying that, but that there is no way, shape, or form that we as lowly, wormy human beings will ever be able to understand the thoughts of God. Well, that's not what he says. Let's go on. Again, verse 9, he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so we understand that. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But in verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, it does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth or from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but uh, it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. God is saying this. He said, yeah, I think on a different level than you think. I operate on a different level than you operate, but I have given you my word and if you will make yourself available to it, you can begin to understand my ways and thoughts. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 12, and uh, he's describing the man that gets started getting a hold of God's thoughts and ways. He says, for then you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that it shall not be cut off. So God is establishing that it is possible for us to operate it with his thoughts and his ways and understand his thoughts and his ways. Okay, so let's Let's eliminate that little piece of unbelief right there that it is possible. By the way, you know, we'll read this scripture in just a couple minutes, but there's nobody that knows God better than the Holy Spirit does. And you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. So you've even got an advantage over these Old Testament saints that were reading this that Isaiah said, you have God living on the inside of you. So not only do you have to go, you, you don't have to go to a rabbi or a prophet to try and, and hear what God is saying. You have him living on the inside of you. All right. So God makes it available for us 
to know his will crystal clear. Now, let me put one caveat on that, and that is this. Human nature wants to know everything from A to Z, okay? Especially if you have any kind of an analytical organizational type mind, you want everything just so, all right? Well, guess what? Unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, depends on how you choose to look at it, God does not reveal things to us that way because faith would not be involved if he did that. So mm -hmm. what he does is he gives it, reveals enough to us so that we can begin the steps and the process of walking the will of God out. And then as we take each step, then he will give us more. And so he's not going to reveal to you the whole plan of God for your life in one sitting, but he will give you enough to get you started and you can begin to take steps and walk it out in, in, in your life. All right. Now, uh, let's pick up and, and I want to just talk about some things that the Lord dropped in my spirit as I was praying and, uh, going over this. Okay. And, uh, as I was praying again, I was praying over today's lesson and I was, uh, just giving the Holy spirit an opportunity to minister some things to me. And, uh, he said this to me, he said, man is the only being in God's creation that is designed to live out of two realms, the spiritual realm and the natural realm. Okay. Now this is very, very important for us as believers to understand this. And I'm talking about as new Testament believers, you need to understand that you are designed by God to operate and to work out of the spirit realm and the natural realm. Now I'm going to say some things to you tonight that might sound a little far out, but I'm going to uh, do my best to, uh, verify it with scripture so that you can see from the word of God, what I'm talking about. But, um, you know, you and I have the privilege to move in the realm of the spirit with the help of the Holy spirit and with the, uh, parameters of the word of God. Okay. Now I want to be very clear. And when I say this, when I use the phrase that we are, are, the only beings in God's creation, apart from God himself, that are designed to live out of both of those realms, I want to clearly make it clearly, clearly, clearly stated that God's plan for people and, and human beings is to function in the spirit realm with the help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God where people get off and, and get way out and get weird and spooky and all that kind of stuff is when they go out and they try and operate in the things of the spirit without the spirit of God and without the word of God. So I, I'm, I want to caution us all in that and understand that. So when I'm talking about spiritual things, I am talking about within the parameters of the word of God and with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. All right. I just want to make that clear. Okay. So no one did what I'm saying to you better than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Now, again, 
a lot of times we ascribe what Jesus did, how he functioned, all that he did in his earthly ministry to the fact that he is and was the son of God. But you need to understand Philippians says that Jesus set aside his divinity, took upon himself a flesh body and became just like us. All right. Now he did not move and function and operate in the earth in his divine state. He did that in his human state, anointed by the Spirit of God. All right, and it's very, very important that we understand that because a lot of times we just, uh, I don't want to say dismiss what he did in his ministry, but we just say, well, that there's no way I could ever be like Jesus. I mean, I couldn't operate like Jesus. No, that was one of the main purposes that Jesus came was to reveal those things to us so that we could be just like him. All right. So Jesus demonstrated what I'm talking to you better than anybody else. And that is he lived out of the spirit realm while he was walking in the natural realm. I'm going to say that again. Jesus lived out of the spirit realm while he was walking in the natural realm. Another way I could say it to you is like this. Jesus functioned with one foot in the spirit and one foot in the natural, if you will. And what I mean by that is he was always listening in his spirit to the Holy Spirit as he maneuvered and ministered and did what he did in the earth. Now, there's many ways or, or, or a couple of primary ways that he did that. Number one was the immense amount of time that he spent in prayer. You know, if you read through the gospels and if you really pay attention, don't gloss over it and pay attention to all the times that it says that Jesus separated himself from the disciples and from the people. And he went off to pray many times he would pray all night long. Well, you know, again, if he was the divine son of God, why did he need to pray? He was the one, he was part of the Godhead, the one he was praying to. No, he did that as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit so that he could find out from the Holy Spirit what his divine appointments, let me use another word, what his times and seasons were, what he was supposed to do in the earth, even down to a day-to-day -day basis, okay? I believe going by Jesus' own words himself. You know, he said this. He said, I don't do anything unless I first see the Father do it, nor do I say anything that I don't first hear the Father say it. So I believe that in these times of prayer, the Holy Spirit would reveal to him some of the people that he was going to encounter and would give him the exact thing to do in that moment in order to minister to them and meet their need, whether it was, you know, um, let me say it to you another way. Listen, when Jesus came up on the, the blind man and he spit in the dirt and made mud and put the mud in the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and he'd come back seeing, Jesus wasn't flying by the seat of his pants when he did that. He was not hoping and praying it would work that time. No, how did he know to do that? He did that because the Holy Spirit instructed him to do that. 
because that's where the power of God to bring sight to the man's eyes would be present if Jesus did it that way. You know, if you think about how, you know, something as, as dramatic as Jesus feeding 15,000 people in one sitting from, you know, just a few fish and a couple of loaves, how Jesus was able to do that. Jesus did not do that flying by the seat of his pants. Number one, I could show you, but he had a precedent from the word of God that gave him permission to do that. But then I believe the Holy Spirit moved upon his heart and anointed him for that moment to be able to do that. I don't know about you, but I classify that as a miracle. That is a big miracle. And the Bible says that one of the gifts of the Spirit is the working of miracles. And so Jesus was anointed to perform that miracle at that moment in that particular time in his ministry. And so what I'm trying to get us to see is this, is that God is wanting to bring us to a place where we are functioning and walking with the Lord in the same way that Jesus modeled for us in his ministry. Okay. All right. Now, let me give you some, some points here and, uh, I'm laying some groundwork. I'm kind of laying some, 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 um, foundation here first. Okay. So go with me to John's gospel, the fourth chapter, please. And we're just going to take our time with this. I'm not going to rush through this. So again, I've got 10 pages of notes tonight. If I don't get through any, uh, half of them, I'm fine with that. We'll pick up right here where, uh, wherever we have to stop, but look at John chapter four. I know that might be a disappointment to Alan. He's always pulling for me to be able to get through all of them. So, but anyway, I apologize in advance, Alan. So anyway, just an inside joke, John chapter four, verse 24. Now this is a conversation Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, I'm just going to extract one verse because of the statement that this verse makes. It says this, verse 24, God is spirit, or one translation, the old King James says, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? So let's establish right now that God is a spirit being. God does not have a flesh body outside of what Jesus possesses, but God the Father is spirit. He is a spirit being, all right? Now, that being established, go back with me to the book of Genesis, please. The first chapter, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. You know this. God said, let us, talking about the Godhead, make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God said in Genesis chapter one, let us make man in our image. Okay. So of course, at this time in the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit, we're all spirit beings. Jesus had not 
taken on a flesh body yet. So they're all spirit. So what God did is he made man in his image. And that word image there means a likeness, a model, or a shadow. You know, as I was studying this, what came to my mind is anybody ever seen pictures of uh, Madame Tussauds uh, Wax Museum in London and the, the wax figures that they have there? that are so incredibly like the real famous people. I mean, they're astonishing. Don't go by the ones you see like at Ripley's at Myrtle Beach and whatnot. They're second class wax figures. Madame Tussauds is top notch, okay? I mean, to, to great detail. So my point is this, just like if you were to take a famous person and go to London and Madame Tussauds and put them right next to their wax figure, hopefully the resemblance would be virtually identical. You would not be able uh, you know, to tell one apart from the other, uh, except one can move and breathe and all that kind of thing. So my point is this, that man was created in the exact image or model of God himself. Now, we are not God. Human beings are not God, but we're modeled just like God. Now, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love uh, building car models. And, you know, I don't know that kids still do that today. But, uh, I mean, you, you used to be able to buy the, the, the model kits with paints and all this kind of stuff. And you could really have some slick looking models. So let's say you built a model of a car, particular model of a car. And so, you know, you have the real car and then you've got this little model, you know, it might be a one twenty second of the, the real thing. It's a tiny version compared to the real thing, but it looks just like the real thing. And so that's exactly the way man was created in God's image. We're not God but we're an exact duplicate of God. We're an image of God. And so my point is this, if God is a spirit, according to what Jesus said, then you and I were created spirit beings. All right. Now, the difference between us and, and God is we possess a body. All right. That enables us to live here in the earth. But um, I, I, I want to make some statements here, and let me say this. Um, I hear people say, you need to get saved so you can live forever. Well, that's actually not a true statement. Man is an eternal being, whether he is saved or not. Now, what makes the difference is, what is your eternal destiny? That is determined by the decision that you make, whether to be born again or not. But man is a spiritual being that is going to live forever. Uh, and of course, when you leave this earth, it's in one of two places, in heaven or in hell, if you don't decide to give your heart to Christ. Okay, so if man was only a physical being, not a spirit, then it would be impossible for him to receive God's nature because God's in a different class. But because man was created in the same class of being 
as God, God was able to deposit in his man his exact nature. So Adam, when he walked in the garden, was a, a miniature exact duplicate of God. He had God's nature. He had God's life. He had God's ability in the sense of being able to uh, replenish the earth, move around in the earth, and accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. Okay. And uh, so man was a spirit being, but God provided a body in which he could live and function in the earth. Now, if man is nothing but a, a mental being, you know, there's some people that believe that we're just a mind and we live in a body. Okay. If that's the case, then we could not receive God's nature because uh, God is not a mind. He's a spirit. And so man had to be a spirit being, an eternal being who, who would live as God lives in order to receive his nature. Man had to be in God's class of being. So let me, let me help you understand this. You know, I know you love your dog, and I've seen them on YouTube, you know, where people swear up and down their dog can talk. I mean, I've seen them where when they bark, they sound like they're forming words and all this kind of stuff. But man is the only being that God created that has the ability through an act of his will to formulate words and speak words and, and release those words into the earth. All right. Uh, you know, I know your dog tells you, I love you and all that kind of stuff. And he probably means it, but he's not really doing that in the sense uh, that a person would or a human being would. That is one of the characteristics that gives us uh, or puts us in the same class as God is. God can speak and see results and things happen from the words of his mouth. According to the word of God, when you and I speak in line with God's word, we can release words and see things happen by the words of our mouth. That's what Jesus said in Mark 11, 23 and 24. All right. So that's what puts us in the same class as God. Now here's, here's the second thing I want you to get. Your physical senses were given to you to allow you to contact this natural physical world. Your physical senses were given to you to allow you to contact this natural world. That's how you receive everything around you in this natural world. That's how you navigate through this natural world, through your five physical senses. Okay, everything you perceive in the natural comes to you as a result of your five physical senses. Okay, here's number three. Your mental and reasoning faculties were given to you so that you might use the knowledge that your senses reveal to your brain. Let me say that again. Your mental and reasoning faculties, we could call that common sense, for, okay, were given to you so that you might use the knowledge that your senses reveal to your brain. You know, let, let me give you an example. 
you're getting ready to cross the street. And like we were all told when we were children, look both ways before you cross the street. And so you look one way and the way is clear, but you look another way and here comes a vehicle heading in your direction. Well, your five physical senses kick in and tell your brain it is not a good time to cross the street. All right. Because if you try and cross the street right now, you're going to suffer some consequences. All right. So your five physical senses are good in that respect and they provide that information to you. Okay. Now, um, I, I toyed around with, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Go over with me to Luke, the 16th chapter, please. Now, for those of you who are following my notes, I'm going off script here just for a second. Look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Because I need to draw a distinction here. Uh, just so you're aware. Luke 16, verse 19. This is a story that Jesus told us. It says this, that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He had a great life. He was a rich man. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sore. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades or hell, he lifted up his eyes across the gulf uh, that was there uh, between him and Abraham's bosom and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, unless they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they per be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. All right. Now, let's back up. And so you have the two men, you have the rich man and you have Lazarus. And uh, let's look at verse 22. Okay. It says, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. All right, so can we agree both men's physical bodies, uh, we assume that the poor man, Lazarus, got buried, but we know for a fact that the rich man got buried, correct? Can, can mm -hmm. we agree on that? All right. Now, he goes on to say, and in verse 24 and throughout the rest of the story, 
Notice this, he recognizes Lazarus. And now, albeit Lazarus is over with Abraham and Abraham's bosom, but he sees him afar off and recognizes him, okay? And he has sensation that he says that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, listen to me carefully. Pay attention to the details. Where is the rich man's body? In the ground. Okay. Where is the rich man's brain? In the ground. In the ground. All right. But notice he has full mental faculties available to him. The point that the Holy Spirit wants me to make to you is this. This man's mind was intact, even though his brain was buried in the ground. The organ of his brain was no longer associated with his spirit, but yet his mind, his will, and his emotions were fully intact and fully present with his spirit, okay? So what I'm wanting you to see is your brain and your mind are two different things. Your mind is attached to and connected with your spirit, being your spirit and your soul are joined together eternally. All right. Now your brain, which is the part of you that uh, knows something is hot or, you know, and all those types of things. Okay. Um, and, and has reflexes and all of that, that our physical brain does all of that gets buried, but your mind remains intact. Why? Because it is connected to your spirit. Mm -hmm. All right. Now that there's a reason I'm telling you this. Okay. All right. So again, you are a spirit being you're made in the image of God. Your physical senses were given to you to allow you to contact this natural world. Now what's cool is, is God gave us the ability to be able to extract information and that information, a lot of it gets stored in our minds. Okay. Then he gave us reasoning faculties to be able to navigate through this natural life. All right. But I'm really wanting you to see that your brain and your mind are two different things. You don't lose your mind when you die and go to heaven. Okay. So with that being said, Go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. It says this, however, Paul speaking, and he said, my preaching was not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if the devil had been smart enough to realize what was happening, he would have never had Jesus crucified. Okay. But verse nine, but as it is written, now this is a quote, okay, from Isaiah 64 and 65. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Stop. That is where most believers stop right there. I even had a preacher, a minister say that to me one time. Well, you never know because I has not seen nor ear heard. And, you know, we were talking about following after the will of God and so forth. And he said, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them who love him. Now, verse 10 begins with a little three-letter word that says, but, B-U-T. Now, mm -hmm. in our English language, when the word but is put in front of a sentence like that, it's connecting to the previous thought. However, what he's getting ready to say fully contradicts and under, undermines what is, in other words, it undoes what has just been said. Okay? So, again, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the mm -hmm. spirit searches all things, yes, mm -hmm. the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul is asking a rhetorical question there. There is nobody that knows more about you than your spirit does. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. All right. So he goes on. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So he's saying we have received the spirit who is from God, let me back up and I'm going to put this, that knows everything about God. He goes on to say that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual now, here's what I've been wanting to get to all night. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so let's break this down real quick. So he says in, in verse 11, there's nobody that knows more about God than the Spirit of God does. However, we haven't received the Spirit that's from the world. We have received the Spirit that's from God, and he gives us and teaches us the wisdom of God. Okay, now here, here's where, what one of the things that the Lord spoke to me. He said that, and notice he did not say in verse 14, but the man who is not born again. He said, but the natural man. 
Did you know there are natural Christians, Christians that are so focused on the natural that they can't discern spiritual things? Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is the point of this whole series of lessons and that God is wanting us to not be this, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, God is desiring to bring us to a place where we are able to discern spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking accurately and clearly, like he told us in Colossians chapter one. But, But then he goes on to say this, But who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, notice he did not say, we have the brain of Jesus. He said, we have the mind of Christ. So let me say it to you this way. God has made available to you and me by the Holy Spirit, for us to share the mind that Jesus has with our mind, you remember, which is attached to our spirit so that we can walk out the things of the spirit as the spirit of God reveals them to us. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm not trying to be weird or vague or anything, but I'm, I'm wanting to, connect some dots for you. Okay. You know, cause I know sometimes we like to use this verse in, in, uh, helping us remember things naturally and so forth. And, and I suppose there's nothing wrong with that, but that's really not the point of what Paul was telling us. Paul was telling us that the fullness of the spiritual information that God has, has been given to us through the mind of Jesus Christ, which was deposited in us by the spirit of God. Okay. Now here's point number four. The Holy spirit was given to us to guide us into all truth and or reality in the sense that God knows truth and reality. Now, I want to take just a second. I'm almost out of time, but let me take just a second here and broaden our understanding of truth. Okay. Truth is not just the absence of a lie. Truth is everything that God is. Okay. Um, Truth is everything that is absolute. There is no gray. Uh, you know, James 1.17 says that there is no variableness or shadow of turning with the Lord. So everything about him is true. The, the book of Psalms says that everything God does and says is true and right. Mm-hmm. Now, our understanding of truth gets a little jaded, if you will, because human beings very rarely function in absolute truth. Okay. Mm -hmm. We shade the truth. We manipulate the truth. 
we, we, you know, we might change it a little bit. So it favors us somehow, or, you know, that type of thing. When you talk about the truth of God, it is absolute, no negotiation, no turning, no gray area whatsoever. Okay. So when Jesus stood up in John chapter 14, and he told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he was telling them was, hey, listen, with me, there is absolutely no changing. Everything I say and do is absolute. There's no gray area with me whatsoever, nor is there compromise whatsoever. Okay? So what the Holy Spirit was sent to do, go back with me to John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. I'm going to read this first, and we'll finish this point, and I made it to page four. Hallelujah. All right, John 16, and look at verse 13. Jesus said this. Um, I want to read verse 12 before I read verse 13. He said, he told his disciples. Now, these guys had the most intimate relationship with Jesus that any human being could have had aside from his mother and his immediate family. But for these three and a half years, they saw him in a different way than his family saw him. And so, you know, they observed him, they heard him. He was their everything. He was their source and supply and, and he was their life. Okay. And so Jesus tells them in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Can I translate this for you a little bit and paraphrase it? I have some spiritual things that I want to tell you. I really want to tell you, but you can't handle them now because you all are natural, lost, unborn again beings that can't grasp the spiritual truths that I want to give you. Okay. How do I know that? We'll look at the very next verse. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, notice what he, what, what the Holy spirit is assigned to do. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will show you things or tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Can I say, tell you what Jesus is saying here? The Holy Spirit has been sent into the earth to fill and live on the inside of born-again spirit beings for one of the main purposes, and it is this, to reveal everything about God and everything about Jesus. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, the Father uh, will take of what is mine and declare it to you, or the Holy Spirit will glorify me, glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you and all things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So what, what the Lord is, is 
telling us here is that the Holy Spirit, thank God we live in the church age. Thank God we live on this side of the cross and Pentecost. I mean, because we have the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit available to us. And I'm telling you, folks, this is what God is saying to us right now. You and I are living so far below what Jesus wants us to live like and not taking advantage of this powerful, powerful resource ministry called the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells on the inside of us. And the resources that he has available from heaven that are available to us if we will just learn how to receive them and to walk in them. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Yes. All right. Well, I'm, I got to quit. Time is up. Praise God. Let me make a note here. I got to page four and a half. All right. <laughs> and we'll pick up here uh, next week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.